Good evening. And a happy Friday evening to everybody. David Ritter is my name and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Greenpeace Australia Pacific and your Chair for this evening. Uh, as is customary before beginning proceedings, I'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. It is upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built. As we share our own knowledge, teaching, learning and research practices within this university, we also pay respect to the knowledge embedded forever within Indigenous custodianship of country. Um, it is really great to see you all here this evening. Um, you're going to hear an extraordinary presentation uh, from my colleague Kiki Tofik, who is the head of Greenpeace's global uh, uh, project to save Indonesia's rainforests. Um, Kiki joins us this evening from some really quite extraordinary work that is going on in Indonesia. And I think we need to be uh, scathingly and searingly honest with ourselves and to acknowledge that in this country we do not have a great track record of looking north to understand, to engage, to be interested, to be friends, to be colleagues and to be working together to solve um, some of the challenges that we face. So it's terrific that people could make it along here this evening. Now, when Kiki has spoken to us for uh, around about 30 minutes, we're then going to have some expert commentary from Jeff uh, Nielsen and Vanessa Heerman, who I'll introduce uh, independently, and then there'll be time for some question and answer. So do stay around for what I think will be a terrific uh, 90 minutes or so of conversation around Indonesia's forests. But now, if you'll please join me in making welcome my dear colleague Kiki Tofik from Greenpeace, Greenpeace Southeast Asia. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon of evening. <laughs> evening. <laughs> evening. Good evening, everybody. Uh, <clears throat> thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, to speak with the, in the front of the Australian people. This is the first time for me. Uh, <clears throat> it's very wonderful and very interesting for me. So many uh, Australian people very interested with the uh, Indonesian forest. And then I'm very glad to have an invite, invitation here. And also thank you for, uh, very much, especially for uh, Sydney Idea and Sydney Environment uh, Institute for hosting uh, this event. So I will start with uh, beautiful forests. So <clears throat> why protecting Indonesian forests is very important because there are uh, three uh, reasons. Uh, it will be uh, regarding with the global uh, global effect also. The first is uh, Indonesia is the third largest uh, tropical forest in the world. And then uh, forests on Borneo, Sumatra, and also we have in Papua, among of the most biological diverse uh, habitat in the world. And then <clears throat> there is a very high uh, number and unique plant and animal also. So this one... Uh, you can look, this is the 
tropical forest in Kalimantan. This is uh, near from National uh, Tanjung Puting National Park. There is a habitat of the orangutan, the endangered uh, species right now. And yeah, this is baby orangutan in National Park. And then now it's very, very uh, suffering with that uh, deforestation in Indonesia. And then uh, this area actually also pit are. Uh, area and then another another endangered or instinct uh, species is uh, Sumatan forest now Sumatan forest only left uh, less than 400 uh, 400 uh, tiger and yeah another species including uh, uh, elephant and also rhinos is now uh, quite uh, uh, threatening by deforestation and then now uh, I'm showing this is the pitland area pitland is the very unique uh, species in uh, unique habitat in Indonesia or in the world because uh, in, in, in the world itself the pitland area is probably uh, the biggest in the tropical forest is Indonesia and then it's quite deep most, uh, mostly in Kalimantan is more than three meter deep, and then pitland itself is the 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 one who uh, have a lot of carbon. So we need to keep that uh, pitland stay as uh, natural as as we can. And the second uh, reason why we need to keep uh, forest uh, Indonesia. Is uh, Indonesia peatland is uh, as I said before is uh, most critical carbon store in in, in the world, uh, storing about 35 billion tons of carbon. And peatland also uh, it's very easily uh, burned if they uh, already dry. And then we need to keep peatland uh, still uh, wet to make that uh, uh, far from the fire. So yeah, that's what happened. And then uh, year by year, actually, we Greenpeace Indonesia we start from 2003 to uh, focusing with the illegal timber, and then after that, uh, we also focusing with the palm oil uh, palm oil company, and then after that, also we focusing with pulp and paper sector. So the driver in, in deforestation in Indonesia actually uh, uh, come from the big, big company uh, industry and also coming from the, uh, could be coming from the government. Why government? Because we, uh, strong regulation is the answer to make that uh, deforestation low or stop deforestation. And then the third reason is uh, now, currently, Indonesia is has uh, uh, Indonesia is the highest uh, of the deforestation in the world, and then it's like uh, competing with Amazon forest. In other years, Amazon is the biggest, but now we are the biggest. But it's in the it's not good. It's not in good way. I mean, it's this uh, uh, sadness since nineteen. 1990 uh, until 2015, our 
loss, our forest loss is about uh, 31 million hectare and then it's like uh, same size as uh, Germany area. Yeah. This one what uh, we are doing in the field, we investigation and then we look in the field what happened then we, we saw that uh, how the deforestation doing in the field. We make some uh, report and also push to a uh, uh, company. You can look, this is uh, the, the clearance area in uh, Sumatra, especially this is in uh, Riau province. And then this area actually pitland, pitland area. And then they clearing the forest and they plant the uh, palm oil or pulp and pepper. This one is for pulp and pepper. And this one is for uh, palm oil uh, concession. So if you look at this uh, another side, that's uh, just uh, clearance and then if Uh, we clearly look uh, the detailing. This is clearly uh, this is uh, uh, area of uh, pitland because they have a uh, uh, canal. So they develop the canal. Sorry, they develop the canal to drain the picture, uh, the drain the the pitland, make the pitland uh, drain, and then they uh, can plant the trees. Even uh, uh, it could be for pulp and paper, and it could be for palm oil. And then this is uh, our report, our investigation report. This one is Merbau, Merbau last ten in Papua, and then we co we make that uh, report also cooking the planet. This is coming from when we are deb uh, deb have a battle with the biggest biggest company of the pulp and paper and palm oil in Indonesia. A lot of uh, report we have done. This one is uh, uh, pumping the planet, license to kill, and burn, burn, burning up Borneo. And currently, and this is also uh, uh, from our global team who uh, join with us, pushing the company. They make that uh, some action. In this is in London. They put the hanging the ban big banner with uh, the time we we campaign about the baby. Actually, baby is fine, but but the baby using the the packaging is uh, coming from the uh, uh, defo uh, deforestation area. And yeah, recently also we uh, uh, still campaign about the palm oil and then. Uh, One of our target that time is uh, Johnson and Johnson. This is uh, our college from Australia who bring that our petition to headquarters in here. And another, another, after another, another, what we are doing after pushing the company, we also trying to lobbying government to make that government uh, release the strong regulation to keep the forest. And then that time we can uh, we invite uh, our governor. Uh, sorry, uh, first time we invite we we got invitation from our president coming to uh, the president palace. And then this one is uh, our GPI uh, ED Kumi Naido. I think Kumi Naido have uh, talking also in here. And then 
Presiden SBY that time uh, uh, hosting us to his uh, palace. And 2013, we got opportunity to bring our ship uh, Rainbow Warrior to come to Jakarta. That time also SBY coming to our president coming to uh, ship. And and on that time also they invite we invite uh, the governor of Jakarta. Uh, Joko Widodo uh, to come to our ship, and then now Joko, Joko Widodo is our president. So we have a, 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 a good uh, lobbying to to bring our president, our ministry, and our our governor also to uh, hear what we are uh, uh, demand. But yeah, after after our campaign uh, uh, from 2003 until 2015, a lot of victory we got. Uh, now almost uh, 60% of palm oil company released the uh, commitment for forest conservation policy, no zero deforestation, and then um, almost. 80% of pop, pop and paper company also release uh, a commitment for zero deforestation. We also get the moratorium uh, 2011 and then extend every two years until last year. Got the extension from the president as a presidential extension for, uh, for uh, forest moratorium every two years. But what happened in the field Uh, we still have uh, fire. So, one is uh, one of our videos that uh, very clearly showing that how uh, palm oil company opened the land with the fire and then we talk here actually we are we are not uh, anti palm oil we uh, support palm oil but uh, we need to palm oil uh, sustainable palm oil it's mean they can they still can uh, Uh, have the plantation, but they could use the degraded land, for example, and then without open the uh, clear, uh, without clearing or open the uh, rainforest and also peatland. So that is uh, uh, what we are what we are asking to company. And then last year, from the October until sorry, from from August until November. Uh, we have a very big uh, disaster of forest fire. 
And then from three month fire in Indonesia, we become as a, a biggest uh, emitter in the world, even if we compare also with the US uh, emission. And then to make you, uh, I will try to showing this uh, new this uh, video also. Yeah, this is in the village in central Kalimantan and then this time actually in the noon, afternoon and if you look at uh, the situation, this is the haze is very very uh, big and then people cannot doing anything actually. Uh, that time government, Indonesian government asking uh, people to stay at home but it's probably can do in the city, but in the villages is difficult because uh, the housing also not really big, and then there is no activities. Sakit. Kemudian juga masalah asap ini karena ada kebakaran. So this one is a voice from the head of the elementary school in the village, and then they said there is no way from uh, people in there uh, uh, only stay at home. So they doing the activities as usual, even uh, the haze is very, very uh, dangerous. And actually that time, the indicator of uh, haze is very dangerous. That time, uh, a lot of people get uh, uh, sick. Almost uh, 500,000 uh, people uh, get the respiratory illness. And then the sadness, the sadness uh, thing is uh, almost there is uh, there are uh, 19 kids died, and mostly is a baby. That is because the resp uh, respiratory respiratory uh, illness. So this is the uh, Dayak community in Central Kalimantan in uh, Ahas River, and then they said it's already 12 years. Uh, every year have a, a fire, and it's because the peatland already dry, and then drying the peatland starting in uh, 1996 when Suharto era have the uh, big project of uh, a rice mega rice project so this area actually peatland uh, peatland area and then uh, if uh, you look at the trees there is not burn but because the fire is coming from the underground the leaf is still there, uh, but then, yeah, they burn the 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 root. So the the the, the, the danger thing is uh, sometimes the uh, the trees will be falling down because the root is already gone, and then it's difficult to uh, fight with the fire because they need a lot of water. 
Kebunnya banyak yang terbakar. Yeah, and then uh, a lot of people also, as I said before, a lot of people sick, and then if you look this, a lot of kids actually who will be very suffering, then that's why, uh, uh, as I said, that uh, 19, 19 baby and 19 kids uh, died that time, only in three months. And then 500,000 uh, 500, people uh, get the respiratory illness. And yeah, after the burn, company or people still trying to uh, plant the trees, palm oil trees. So that's why it's very clear that actually the fire is coming from uh, a, a company who want to uh, planting the trees, especially palm oil. So actually, since beginning, we have... Uh, we we already mapping out that the the root of the problem is coming from the pitland. So since 2007, we already trying to deming the canal in front of this. Actually, this one is the direct action. We deming the canal inside the com uh, company who we fighting uh, that time, and then when. Uh, we have a new president, President uh, Indonesian, uh, Jokowi. So when he elected 2014, we asking uh, people to sign the petition and then uh, most, more than uh, 3,000 uh, people signed the petition and then we can asking uh, uh, President Indonesia to come to the Riau and then he doing the he doing the the he joined with us doing the deming the canal and then we also uh, when we uh, make the uh, asking people we also make the comic like this because uh, that time when jokowi when this uh, president running the election uh, the team has uh, using the tintin comic to make that uh, uh, people interest so we're trying to make this uh, also. And then, yeah, actually, <clears throat> what happened with uh, our uh, campaign, even we have uh, got several uh, uh, winning uh, victory, but also a lot of uh, backlash coming from us. So one is uh, backlash is uh, this one. This is uh, effigies of uh, Kumi. Kumi Naido, our ED director, and then also the former uh, head of uh, Forest Campaign Indonesia. So that time, uh, some protestor, uh, protestor who paid by uh, company come to our office and then make the dem demonstration, and then they put that uh, uh, effigies in 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 front of our office. So several several. Uh, backlash also coming to us. Last time we have uh, almost uh, 15 our global team uh, has deported also from Indonesia. 
and then another time uh, there, there there is uh, uh, some uh, protester or coming from even coming from the local government so local government also send the letter that we can we can have the we cannot have the office in uh, residential uh, area even in our neighbor beside of us also uh, have the office but yeah this is what we are facing and yeah even that we still uh, go with our campaign because uh, whatever we got from the backlash if i'm if we are uh, <clears throat> if we are uh, go from indonesia it's like uh, we are lost but we 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 thinks we need to still keep our our campaign and yeah this one is uh, <clears throat> our investigation in some company uh, that supply a global market and they are still uh, destroying, uh, destroying a forest. And then last March actually we make that uh, a petition. Then we found three big uh, market, uh, three big uh, company like uh, Johnson & Johnson, PepsiCo and uh, I'm forget one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, also, also uh, have uh, still using the the sources or uh, supply chains not clear from the deforestation area. So PepsiCo, Johnson and Johnson, and Colgate Palmolive. So three of them uh, also still a bit. And then, uh, as we said before, uh, we also make that uh, some activities in the field that time we have last year we deming the canal again after 2014 2015 we deming again and then we make the giant banner bring this to Gava to Jokowi to President Jokowi and that time in the Paris agreement Paris uh, uh, COP in Paris uh, last December we also have opportunity to send the sign sign up from uh, uh, college all of the world. So that time our college, uh, our campaigner can stopping uh, our president, Mr. Jokowi, uh, to send, to, to, to give to him directly that uh, uh, 250,000 people in the world uh, 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 support us to save the pitland and forest. And this is quite uh, a new last December, and then he is uh, happy also to to uh, to hear what we are demand. And after that, actually, there's uh, still another 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 uh, homework for us. After we got company, we got uh, government, and then also the the challenging what we found is uh, about the transparency. So I will, I will uh, showing that after that we <clears throat> we running with this uh, uh, map platform. So we realized that uh, after the big forest fire last year, a lot of people want to know who who is the responsible of the forest fire. But then everybody uh, say no. And then because also the data, spatial data in Indonesia is 
not openly and then we trying to uh, we trying uh, to asking to government and also we 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 make that uh, a simple interactive map using uh, working together with global forest watch and then this is very simple actually uh, we put a uh, 15 layer in here this is a uh, indonesian area and then uh, in this uh, in this uh, mapping platform we can uh, we put that uh, palm oil concession first so in this uh, palm oil concession we can see by the group who is uh, who is the uh, have the area and then like that and then also uh, yeah in this uh, every single uh, shape we have a uh, name of the company area also uh, permit but some some uh, still empty because we don't we we didn't get uh, the 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 detail but the idea, but uh, some of them have uh, detail uh, the the permit the number permit location of permit and then uh, we also have the pop and paper or wood fiber uh, concession also we can show that uh, group in here like april uh, app barito pacific and others and then another uh, theme or layer we have is a, a, a logging concession and then uh, coal mining concession and then if you look uh, if, if if we look this you look this uh, Kalimantan Island already occupied by concession. So no left for, for people actually. And then if we, if we uh, overlaying with orangutan habitat, so mostly orangutan habitat is uh, overlapping with that uh, concession. That's why a lot of uh, orangutan died and then suffering orangutan in the field. And we also have a tiger habitat, but tiger habitat is only in Sumatra because this is a Sumatran tiger habitat. Also same like uh, 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 like uh, orangutan habitat. Lot of uh, tiger habitat already converted by uh, uh, concession. And if we look at uh, with the forest cover, this is we got the uh, forest cover from uh, Ministry of Forestry. A lot of concession actually inside the forest area. That's why uh, from 25 years, we already lost 31 million hectare forest. So yeah, a lot of, uh, we also put this uh, uh, active fire. So, with this, uh, people can uh, easily know where is the fire now and then uh, in, uh, inside the uh, who's concession. And then after that, people can asking directly to company. And then we also can monitor easily if they're not doing nothing with this. And also, 
pitland map. So pitland area in Indonesia it's about uh, 20 million hectare and then uh, a lot of pitland area already degraded and then uh, 10 million hectare pitland area already uh, convert for uh, pulp and paper concession. That's why uh, we always have a forest fire every year. Yeah, uh, that is uh, what we trying to do for uh, Forest Indonesia, and then even a lot of backlash, a lot of challenging with us, but we we still optimistic we can we can do together to save our uh, Indonesian forest, and then with uh, a global team who help us, not only pushing the government but also pushing the another uh, company, especially market campaign. Uh, we are very uh, thank you, and then also for some supporter uh, people who also joining with our activities in other country, including in Australia. This is a very, really very, very beneficial for us. And uh, yeah, if we work together, we can save uh, Indonesian forests. And then this love forest only uh, now is already gone because. Just uh, up of this uh, area already opened by company. We got uh, flyover 2010, and then we trying to monitor that area 2012, and then this already gone. And yeah, thank you very much for opportunity. Thank you for. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kiki, not only for joining us tonight, but for your work leading the global Indonesian forest campaign. Um, thank you for that leadership and to your team for all of that work. Um, we have two uh, expert respondents this evening. Let me first introduce... I think, Jeff, you're, you're responding first? Yep. Let me first introduce to you Jeff Nielsen. Uh, Jeff's research focuses on natural resource management and rural economic development in South and Southeast Asia with specific area expertise on Indonesia. These interests are explored through two complementary research programs. The first explores the livelihood implications of market engagement for smallholder farmers in the global south using a value chain framework. The second examines emerging forms of environmental and resource governance arising from the confluence of conventional state structures, civil society organisations and market-driven regulations such as certification schemes and payments for ecosystem services. Uh, so, Jeff, if you'd like to uh, join us for about ten minutes, then I'll introduce Vanessa. Thanks. Thanks, David, for the introduction um, and also to Sydney Ideas for hosting uh, the event this evening um, and especially to um, Kiki for the insightful, if somewhat sobering, assessment of the, um, the current state of Indonesian um, forests at the moment. It's certainly a very um, eye-opening for a lot of us, even though we've, those of us have done work in the, in the field. And particularly, I, I found of interest was the strategies that Greenpeace is now um, working on to address the, the forest problems across Indonesia. I have to say, in the presentation, a couple of things really stood out for me um, that sort of that highlight the contradictions, really, of environmental management in, in modern Indonesia today. But the image there of the rainbow warrior, 
in Jakarta. Um, not only was it allowed to go to Jakarta, but we also had, I think, the president, or the president-to-be, um, standing and posing in front of it. For those of us who know anything about the history of environmental politics in Indonesia, Greenpeace was banned from operating in Indonesia for a number of years, so the fact that Rainbow Warrior can go and dock in the ports of Tanjung Priok is, in, on the one hand, um, an amazing development that sort of that highlights the role that different NGOs are now playing in shaping new forms of environmental management in the country. And at the same time, the, the images you had there of the, the effigies of the, of the Greenpeace activists as well are again a, and a, a reminder, however, that those, those echoes of the past are still very strong um, in terms of what might happen to activists if you get on the wrong side of the state. And that might be a theme that, that Vanessa picks up um, after me. So I think I'm, I'm going I'm to try to pick up on the, the key themes there that Kiki addressed of, um, of brand mapping and politics and try to think through them in terms of strategies of environmental advocacy um, in, in countries such as, such as Indonesia. I think what we're seeing here um, is, a, is that environmental governance to address fundamental issues like deforestation is increasingly internationalised, it's increasingly multi-scalar, and it's shaped by a, a broad constellation of, of diverse actors. Um, the, the together shaping sort of environment and determining environmental outcomes on the ground in Indonesia. While traditional modes of environmental protection, we tend to think of them being dictated by the state um, and by the government in terms of command and control approaches, perhaps putting aside protected areas um, for protection. And whilst these are still important, as I think Kiki showed, they're only one element within sort of a, a broader um, strategy of environmental management and environmental governance. So in relation to the Indonesian state and the role of the government, which we perhaps should start to pull apart a little bit to think also in terms of politics. So politics is not just the government, of course. It's the ability of different actors within Indonesia and abroad to influence outcomes and, in fact, influence perhaps the activities of the state. But, of course, politics is not just about the government. So recent government announcements there, the, the various moratoriums on logging and new plantation leases that we've heard or the, the attempts to develop a single map program um, across Indonesia, um, which it should be noted that the single map program gained a lot of traction within Indonesia in the last five or six years, particularly in a response um, to expectations that REDD programs, the reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation, that were being enforced on Indonesia globally, potentially opened up a lucrative source of international funding for, for, for different actors within Indonesia. And so the single map project was very much about trying to, to map that resource so that it could be potentially incorporated within these international uh, markets for environmental services. So whilst the, the state in Indonesia is clearly uh, a key player in addressing deforestation and forest loss, I guess I remain a little bit more sceptical about the ability um, of technical interventions such as um, the single mapping project um, to be able to actually change outcomes on the ground. I think even if successfully implemented, such, um, such programs are unable to address the more fundamental and underlying political and economic challenges that really shape um, environmental governments, uh, governance across Indonesia. So particularly in relation to the issuing of logging licences, um, of plantation leases, of mining contracts that we saw on the maps that were presented, it's of course the politics behind who benefits from issuing of such licences 
uh, which are generating very lucrative rents, of course, for, for bureaucrats within the system who are, who are well positioned. So I think we need to be very careful of, of expecting the government to be able to deliver the sorts of solutions to, to deforestation in Indonesia um, that, that we'd like to see because of the way that these politics are clearly embedded within, um, within the system. So I think addressing these sort of deeper challenges would require a much broader debate, and this again may be something that Vanessa picks up on later, um, but a much broader debate with Indonesia on how to balance the different goals of various actors and their different interests um, in, in Indonesia, whether it's from the bureaucrats themselves, what are the incentive structures that are shaping their behaviour in terms of issuing licences, what are the incentive structures shaping corporations and, of course, communities and the ability of organisations to represent those communities. So I'm a little bit concerned over the, the, the trend towards a single map project in Indonesia, which also makes legible these sort of spatial boundaries um, across landscapes in a way that runs the risk of once we know what's there and we can map it very accurately, it actually may allow those people that have access to the maps and access to, to create those maps the ability to dictate outcomes um, at the expense of perhaps um, less uh, well-connected community actors. So the state, I guess, the argument I'm trying to make is only part of the story. And Greenpeace, of course, um, has, has had a long history of targeting corporations um, in terms of its advocacy. I certainly think back to the targeting of Shell over the decommissioning of Brent Spa in the 1990s, which you know, successfully changed Shell's behaviour. Um, and various other successful campaigns sort of illustrative of this approach to target, to target corporations. And this responds to the reality, I think we've all come to accept, that, um, that in terms of the economic influence and power, many corporations today are in fact more powerful um, than the nation states that ostensibly house them. And so therefore they're a, a logical target for environmental advocacy. Furthermore, I think it also, that this sort of a strategy to target brands um, also reflects the contemporary nature of global value chains, where most value in a chain is created um, you know, through the careful management of brand reputations, whilst many other activities in production and extraction are outsourced to other act actors, many of whom are often located in, in, in other countries. And so we, we look at, at companies such as Nike, for example, um, which really now... Uh, manages itself as a brand management company. All different production activities and even aspects of design are outsourced to, to third parties. So importantly, I guess the point I'm making is that this clearly creates new opportunities um, for environmental ad ad activism and advocacy. So that because if a company is made up almost entirely of its own brand and that any sort of damage to that brand becomes of utmost importance, it also signals a, a potential weak point in the corporation as well. So any sort of advocacy that threatens uh, a brand reputation is likely to get a lot more traction uh, with, within uh, corporate, corporate strategy. But such strategies, however, are going to require a much better understanding than we currently have over the intricacies of different value chain dynamics. I mean, palm oil, for example, is notoriously difficult to trace. I mean, I've heard estimates saying it's probably in about half of the products that are on our supermarket shelves, so it's quite a diverse product, uh, product range um, that involves a number, of, a number of brands in our supermarkets. There are some, of course, own brand products that the supermarkets have, but in for essence, there's a diversity of, of companies that will use palm oil in fairly small quantities, making it very difficult to trace through the supply chain effectively. 
Um, in contrast, I guess in Australia anyway, the market, the retail market, for particularly for timber and paper products, is a lot more um, tightly concentrated. With with companies such as Bunnings and Office Works, who are respectively um, make up a very large part of the market for for timber and paper products um, in our country, and that there, therefore makes them much better targets for consumer campaigns, which I, I'm, I'm aware that the Greenpeace is also actively involved in. Um, a, uh, across Australia. But these supply chains can be really be quite complex. If we look at paper, for example, it's my understanding that most of Australian paper is imported or manufactured in China. Um, some of that production in China relies on, on timber products, pulp products from China, but the vast majority of it is imported um, earlier from countries such as Indonesia. So our ability then to trace back through these supply chains is vitally important if we want to use corporate brand reputations as our trigger for trying to enact environmental change. And as, as Kiki mentioned, I think, um, several, uh, by targeting these companies, we have seen a number actually dumping some of the poor-performing suppliers in recent years. Uh, I think Officeworks did actually, I'm not sure they still have, but they dumped April, um, one, of, one of the largest uh, uh, pulp companies responsible for deforestation across Indonesia. Um, and that was as a result of not conforming with third-party certification. So if we're going to use these brands, whether it's Johnson & Johnson as our targets, for example, um, then we need to be able to make, provide an, oppo an, an opportunity or an alternative um, avenue that these, that these companies can, um, can engage in in terms of sourcing. And that often requires, whether it's the Roundtable Sustainable Palm Oil or whether it's Forest Stewardship Council um, as, as alternatives. And so this then brings us into the, into the realm of how effective are these various third-party certification schemes themselves. And are they, first of all, how are those standards being created? Are they effectively monitoring back to, um, back to origin? And whether there's non-conformance, that, if that's going to be able to, be, um, to result in, uh, in, in changing supply. So I guess we can see a shift, I think, reflected in, in Kiki's talk in general um, towards what some commentators refer to as post-sovereign environmental governance whereby conventional state functions are being increasingly taken over by often unelected non-state actors, such as corporations and indeed NGOs. And not surprisingly, such pressure is strongest where states have, have uh, been unable to perform their basic functions in maintaining ecosystem services, such as maintaining um, clean air. However, Kiki also highlighted, I think, the need to continually engage with the Indonesian state um, and hinted, I think, at some of the deeper political challenges in doing that across Indonesia. So, looking ahead, um, it seems to me that the future of Indonesia's rainforests uh, will probably depend on uh, strategic uh, approaches by organisations such as Greenpeace, which innovatively couple together systems of environmental governance that are exerted through branded companies and supply chains, um, together with place-based political realities of, intent of managing different interests within countries such as Indonesia, which hopefully will be a, a topic that Vanessa will pick up in a moment. So, thank you. Thanks, Jeff. So, uh, lastly, but of course not least this evening, uh, Vanessa Heerman is a lecturer in Indonesian studies at the University of Sydney and a historian of Southeast Asia. Her research deals with the violent anti-communist repression in Indonesia between 1965 and 1968 and efforts to address this past. 
She also writes about transnational activism related to human rights in Indonesia and East Timor. With Professor Michelle Ford and Dr Thushara Dibley, she holds a faculty research collaborative scheme grant for research on Indonesian activism and policy engagement under President Joko Widodo. Vanessa teaches senior level Indonesian language in the Department of Indonesian Studies as well as history and social science units in the Asian Studies program. Please make Vanessa welcome. Thank you. Okay, thank you very thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you to the Sydney Environment Institute as well as Sydney Ideas for uh, hosting this gathering here this evening. I'm going to take a bit of a macro approach to looking at this issue of campaigning for forest protection. On Wednesday, two days ago, famous documentary maker Joshua Oppenheimer, co-director of the films The Act of Killing and The Look of Silence, two documentaries that focus on Indonesia and have won awards around the world, wrote an article in The Guardian. Oppenheimer linked global warming and Indonesia's forest fires with a 1965 genocide against the Indonesian left. It was a provocative thesis he argued that the killing of the Indonesian left, which, which ushered in an army coup led by Major General Suharto, has led to the rape and pillage of Indonesia in the name of global capitalism. Both of Oppenheimer's recent documentaries deal with the 1965 event in Indonesia, or the killing of some half a million Indonesians and the detention without trial of hundreds of thousands in the eradication of leftist and progressive politics from that country. The Indonesian Communist Party, or the PKI, was, at the time of the killings, the third largest communist party in the world before its members and sympathisers were killed, detained and tortured. The PKI was accused of carrying out a coup when seven Indonesian army officers were killed by a group calling itself the 30th of September movement in 1965. In an atmosphere of Cold War tensions, the army used these events as a pretext to destroy the leftist movement in Indonesia. And these mass killings constitute one of the worst events of the 20th century for which no one has ever been punished. The perpetrators were members of the security forces, the military, police, as well as a small group of civilian paramilitaries, such as the Pancasila youth, the group Oppenheimer depicts in his film, The Act of Killing. Oppenheimer began his film career making films about workers in the labour movement in Indonesia. He began to ask why there were no effective unions in Indonesia since 1965? Why were his interviewees, plantations and forestry workers in North Sumatra so worried about being branded communists if they were active on their workplaces? He then went on to make films about 1965 as a result of those conversations he had with people about how these events shaped today's Indonesia. How Indonesia got here is often not so well known. In 1966, under the New Order regime, Indonesia passed a new investment law and emphasised Western investment, loans and aid as being key to improving the country's economy. Government representatives toured around the world to say that Indonesia is a country now open for business when they went to Europe, Japan and the United States in 1967 to seek new investment and lending. Indonesia's forests, rivers, land, human and natural resources were promoted to investors, involving also the military as key economic players and Suharto business cronies. In 90, 1998, the regime collapsed as a result of public protests against its corruption, nepotism and repressive policies, but many of the old actors remain powerful today. As Kiki said in his speech, Indonesia is a custodian for the world in safeguarding the forests, rivers, seas and biodiversity of the world. 
new species found in the forests of Papua, for example, continue to show us how little we know about this world, a fast disappearing world under the pressure of logging and palm oil development. The intersection between politics and the environment can't be overlooked. In Papua, where despite regional autonomy, the Papuan people are marginalised from the fruits of development in their own land, it's no coincidence that there are vast tracts of land being opened up to palm oil and logging concessions. The democratic era in Indonesia began in 1998, but the human rights situation in Papua continues to be worrisome. The Suharto regime was very sensitive to criticisms over its human rights and environmental record, and this attitude has continued with subsequent governments. Under President Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono in 2011, in a form of misguided nationalism, Greenpeace Indonesia faced questioning by various ministers and was pressured to close uh, at the time because of the extent to which it represented perhaps more outside vis-à-vis Indonesian interests. And as always, NGOs get questioned about the sources of their funding and whether they violate Indonesian sovereignty in some way by receiving external donor funding and by criticising the government overseas for its environmental record. The extent of environmental destruction, however, needed activists in Indonesia, including those in long-standing green groups such as WALHI, the Indonesian Environmental Forum, to scale up their messaging and their activism, to engage in transnational activism across the globe. The scaling up and the internationalisation of environmental protection campaigning are necessary in view of what's at stake and the magnitude of the problem. Scaling up is also a form of protection for Indonesian human rights activists and activists in general, as we would have seen through those effigies um, in Kiki's lecture. The election of President Joko Widodo in 2014 gave hope to many Indonesians, and we have seen some of the concrete changes that um, Kiki outlined in his talk. Coming from a non-elite background, Widodo was very much a product of Indonesia's democratisation. As Kiki mentioned, his election has opened up new possibilities in terms of protecting the environment and rethinking the best development models for Indonesia. Under Widodo, Indonesia could also be very well be on the brink of tackling past impunity for the 1965 killings. Certainly, his election has given rise to new campaigning and mobilisation by Indonesians on a range of issues, including disability rights, human rights and environmental concerns. Amidst the gloomy reporting about the forest fires last year in Indonesia, the news magazine Tempo ran a series of articles profiling ordinary Indonesians combating the fires. These range from volunteers, many of whom were involved in environmental groups who fought the fires using underground wells and hoses, to a young medical doctor treating victims of smoke inhalation who had begun himself to volunteer with environmental NGOs. Indonesians are active and engaged on environmental protection, but their numbers are still too few, and activism retains a stigma and is seen as dangerous and a waste of time given the country's intense depoliticisation under Suharto. Joshua Oppenheimer is right when he slates the problem of Indonesia's lack of transparency and strong institutions today as being the legacy of that anti-democratic military seizure of power in 1965, which was allowed to go ahead because of the Cold War at the time. The fate of forests is intertwined with the success of international campaigning but also intertwined with Indonesia's democratisation and the extent to which it can uphold the rule of law and provide adequate livelihoods to all those who benefit from the forests and its riches. 
A globalised strategy on forest protection is important, as these forests, like Australia's Great Barrier Reef, belong to the world. But as Kiki has pointed out, Indonesians are those who suffer enormously from the forest fires and other effects of forest destruction. Therefore, international partners also need to understand the local context, and this is a plea for engagement with Indonesia as a country and Indonesians as a people. The politics and history of that country and the struggles of that country, and to support the Indonesian people in their struggles for greater power, for autonomy and decision-making in their lives. There is a plethora of these struggles underway today in Indonesia, and forest protection is one of those struggles. Thank you. Thanks, Vanessa. Now, I'm going to invite all three uh, speakers to come and take their seats at the... Uh, is that a podium? Table? Table. Um, so we can do a few uh, Q&A. Do you want to come up? And, um, and just while they're doing that, um, and just uh, riffing off Vanessa's comments that the fate of forests are intertwined with the success of international campaigning and the plea for engagement, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't encourage all those present to become involved in the campaign to, send in to save Indonesia's forests and to have a word with the, with the smiling Greenpeace campaigners at the um, table on the way out. Uh, so, questions for the panel? The front row, thanks. Yep. Uh, hi, Th thank you for the presentation. It's a very um, uh, eye-opener. Um, I, I want to make a comment about Indonesia, like, because Indonesia is it's a very new uh, country uh, in terms of their history. And I was just thinking, um, because the Paris Agreement has been um, held and there are agreements, you know, at hand, um, um, speaking about um, environmental issues and um, protection of rainforest, do you see Indonesia moving um, towards this? And um, another thing I would like to add is like um, the message that you have given to us, is it effective in the public in Indonesia or with the government? Is, is it possible for them to know about these issues? Because like, you know, you're, you're fighting it yourself. It's, it's, a, it's a hard struggle, but maybe if you've got the people on board or the government on board, um, then they will know the consequences of um, corporate action. Should we take a, uh, a couple of questions and then the panel can respond to all at once? Yes, lady in the middle. Uh, hi. According to this like, flyer, it says that Ferrero and Nestle are on the good track to um, meeting the palm oil commitments, but in a greater scale of the protection of the environment, would you still say that it's enough to protect the environment? And on that note, would you say that they're truly on the right track to being a good example of corporate social responsibility, or are they just purely doing better than other companies? Thank you. And maybe one more question, and I'll ask the panel to respond to all three. We have a third question. Ah, yes. Uh, thanks, David, and thank you to all of our speakers. Um, I suppose one of the things that I think comes across in the imagery that Kiki shared with us is that, and I, I suppose I speak as someone who's spent a bit of time on the ground in Indonesia, not much, but I've been to some of those places that were photographed, is that we're talking about a destruction at a truly industrial scale. 
when we think about the word deforestation, we tend to think of kind of, I do anyway, sort of muscly, sweaty men and really big sores and, you know, beer, beer when they've finished. It ain't like that. It's industrial scale. It is clearing pieces of land in a couple of weeks from here to the North Shore, just doing that, using machinery. So this is a, an environmental catastrophe of an immense scale. So that's a bit of a downer. But what I'd like is if each of the members of the panel could, um, maybe if you could share one reason, one reason for optimism in relation to how we might engage with this tragedy, one reason for optimism, and one thing that each of us in the room might do when we leave that might make a difference. Splendid practical question. We've got three questions there and I'll invite the panel to respond before we take another round. Okay, uh, thank you. Firstly, getting with the first question. Uh, okay, so regarding with the message, what we uh, uh, develop to public, engagement the public, it's actually not only for, uh, of course, every, every country or every region is, will be different, but then the message is the same. I mean, even that uh, what we are present uh, today like this, it is the uh, same message also what I'm present to Indonesian, call, uh, Indonesian people in, in Indonesia. Probably the difference is on language. But same, uh, people in the city also, a lot of people in the, uh, who live in the city don't know about the, what, the, what, the, what happened in the, in the field. A lot of people, because... If we if we look the statistic, 60% of Indonesian people live in the uh, near from the forest, depend with the forest. But then 40% who live in the city, it's a lot of people also know, don't know about what happened. That that's why this message it's a general message to not only uh, foreigner but also uh, uh, to to Indonesian. And then <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that time when we make that uh, uh, sign up for, for president, actually that is what we would like to asking from global. But then in in, in Indonesian itself, we do uh, another uh, message to directly to president. The second question. I'm really sorry, not really. Uh, so this was the question about whether Nestle and Ferrero were really on the right track or whether it was oh, yeah. paraphrasing but greenwash. Okay, so actually we have uh, several uh, variables to calculate, uh, to monitor uh, they already on the track or no. So with that several variable, for example, uh, how they transparent about the how they transparency about the supply chains. This is uh, that is the the first uh, quite uh, important for us because, uh, as you know, a lot of uh, consumer company like uh, Unilever, Ferrero, or Nestle also they got some supplier from Indonesian producer like uh, palm oil, like uh, like in Kalimantan and Sumatra. The question is: They are they uh, the transparent of that uh, uh, supply chain? And then another 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 variable like 
how they keep uh, the commitment of the zero deforestation in the field. We have uh, several investigation with that, and then yeah, from our finding, actually, the time we found that three company called Get Palm Oil, uh, uh, Johnson and Johnson, and then uh, PepsiCo, who still not clear enough regarding with that. Uh, supply chain transparency regarding with that how they implement that uh, 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 commitment of zero deforestation and also regarding with the uh, free prior informed consent in the field because a lot of many uh, case in the field also regarding with the labor issue. So yeah, from our finding, some our criteria say some uh, company is good, but then some company is uh, still orange, and then I mean still uh, need to follow up, but then some company is really really bad. So that's why we still uh, uh, asking them. Until now, uh, uh, we also finding that uh, just recently last month that. One of the uh, producer company who not yet uh, released the commitment of the uh, zero deforestation get the suspend of the RSPO member. That is a IOI coming from the Malaysian company, and yeah, part of them, part of the supply, he they also part of the supplier to 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 PepsiCo and also Colgate uh, Palmolive. One reason uh, for optimism. <laughs> okay, this is uh, this is uh, uh, why why we still uh, optimist that there is uh, the opportunity to keep our forest there. First, uh, the the big reason is because a lot of people in the world also need to have uh, a clear air or uh, a good. Uh, all of us, I think, if we asking every people in the world, they will be uh, left uh, the earth for their uh, kid and also grandson. And in Indonesia, a lot of people also who live uh, in near from the forest and also in the city now to be realized that they need to keep uh, our uh, environment, especially forest, because. They really know what happened in the field when uh, forest fire happened. So now a lot of uh, people, not only community but also government, including uh, President Jokowi, uh, beginning this year has committed to develop the new uh, pit restoration agency to make that restoration to all of the uh, degraded peatland in Indonesia. And then it's quite uh, a very positive for us. There is a, a big step for, for from government who take care of that uh, uh, situation. And yeah, I think with 80% from pulp and paper company who already committed and also 60% from palm oil uh, company who already committed, we can see that there, there are a lot of people also already realized that uh, we we need to keep our our forest and yeah that is the most uh, uh, reason what 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 I think uh, we need we can say thank you Please interrupt me. Um, 
I'm just going to combine a few of those <clears throat> questions and make a few points in response. I think that at what level do you pitch the campaigns at? I think that increasingly we're seeing, indeed, there's a layer of young people in the um, urban communities, universities, schools and so on that are becoming interested in social issues um, who don't carry that burden of the past of living under the New Order regime, who are much freer about the way they express their activism. And the rise of social media as well in Indonesia is one of the biggest users of Facebook and Twitter and a whole range of other platforms that I've never heard of, um, but it's, it's very unique to Indonesia. That I think that it, it is a way of actually spreading the message about what's going on. If you think about the capacity of very quickly reporting things like human rights violations in Papua, for example, how quickly that comes out just using um, you know, phone cameras and things like that. I think that we are seeing a, a higher level of engagement than previously. And I think that's one of the reasons why you should be optimistic about the openings in Indonesia, because there are new possibilities um, under the current president, but the president himself isn't without his problems in terms of um, the political balance in the country, in terms of um, where he sits, does he have a party, and so on politically. So I think that the picture is really mixed in terms of the politics. Yes, um, it's no longer the old authoritarian period anymore, but at the same time we do see possibly a narrowing of that democratic space because activists are being threatened who are involved on a whole range of issues. So it's a mixed picture um, in Indonesia. But at the same time, when, when I'm to give you, you know, perhaps... Uh, some reasons to be, one reason to be optimistic is I guess for me it's that, that we have seen changes in Indonesia that we wouldn't have thought possible before but then the other thing is what's the option but to keep on trying because if you think about destruction of rainforests, I remember when I was growing up in Australia, when I first arrived here from Indonesia, I was growing up in the mid to late 80s that I started to think, wow, rainforests being destroyed in Indonesia and it's still happening and what's, what's the alternative? And, and as you say, it's industrial scale. So I, I wonder how much of these forests are actually still left. And I think that people need to go to Sumatra, Kalimantan and different parts of Indonesia to see, as what you have, um, the, some of the beauty that is left about these places and the people who are trying to preserve it, including a lot of these, even these urban-based activists, indigenous people who are trying to get their message across. And I think the more people who engage with that on a people-to-people -people level, the more meaningful and powerful it is um, for all of us, I think. So in response to the Nestle and Ferrero question, I mean, I'm not sure what the exact claim is, but I'm assuming it's probably that they will have 100% um, sourced RSPO certified palm oil or something along those lines is probably the commitment. So I think I'd be thinking through that in terms of that commitment I think is real because they're worried about Nestle, he's worried about their brand and they're worried about the reputation that entails so therefore they want to manage that and that's sincere and, and then it's a matter of then how much can we expect RSPO certified palm oil to be making a difference on the ground. I think that's maybe is the bigger question, um, and in terms of questioning their sincerity, I'd, I would say that because they're sincere about maintaining a good brand reputation, that they're sincere in in using RSPO, and so that would be a genuine commitment. Um, I'll then answer the next uh, one about perhaps about optimism uh, within Indonesia. What I see as opportunities, and I guess for me, it's the fact that we don't have to rely 100% on the Indonesian state. 
to protect rainforests. And for me, that's actually a positive um, side. So the fact now that we're seeing uh, outcomes for the rainforest being shaped by a variety of actors, some of which uh, Vanessa referred to there and Kiki did as well in terms of the different environmental organisations through social media, but also internationally. The fact that we are able to, to enact leverage from Australia um, on, through our consumer choices, of course, via, via supply chains that are also influencing outcomes um, in Indonesia. For, for me, the, the real challenge is, is coupling these two together. We, we can hear on the one side a lot about the political challenges for environmental groups um, within Indonesia and indeed the, the political economy of large-scale companies operating um, very closely with the Indonesian bureaucracy is a severe, uh, quite a serious challenge. So for me, the, the moving ahead and where it gets exciting, and I think Greenpeace is already doing this um, through its campaigning and through its um, advocacy strategies, is linking together the influence that we can have as consumers via branded companies. I guess there's another question, how much... Uh, how many consumers in Australia are actually aware of, for example, the Forest Stewardship Council certification? The last consumer awareness, brand awareness survey I saw was less than 15%. So on that, on that token, it's still fairly poor awareness in, in places like Australia. Whether that matters is a big question because if all the big companies, whether it's the Ferreros or the uh, Bunnings, if they are actually adopting and changing their sourcing practices just to, to in a defensive form of brand management, that might be just as influential as consumer choices. So for me, opening up those spaces is exciting and then moving ahead, how you can couple together the complex local politics in Indonesia with these sort of floating um, supply chains globally is, is an exciting area moving ahead. Thank you. We've probably got time for one last quick round of questions, if there are more questions. Yes. A question for anyone on the panel, really. Post-1998, we saw a decentralisation of power to the provincial sides. Is there any cause for hope that some of the provincial governments, where ultimately action can be stopped or changed, uh, because one understands that, as you already identified, the President doesn't have the powers that he may like or certainly would have had under the dictatorship, um, is there any cause for hope that some of the, uh, the regional governments will actually take action from a grassroots level? Or do you think that's not the case? Any more last questions? Ah, it's at the one in the back row. Uh, a quick comment, I think, uh, and then a question. The comment being, I think, uh, Nestle and uh, uh, having a serious commitment, those two don't sit very comfortably together, uh, I'm afraid. But uh, in terms of questions, obviously deforestation is your kind of is the main issue here. But has, has any thought been put to how, you know, once you've stopped the rainforest from being uh, uh, destroyed, about going out and doing reforestation and actually trying to sort of claim back the environment? And a final question. So we have a last round of three. One in the front here. I'm giving you some good exercise, Michelle. Coming up and back and up. I'm just interested in, Kiki, what you were talking about um, in terms of the backlash of that Greenpeace campaign where they saw the images of Kumi and Bustar. Apologies if I get those names wrong. Um, they were hung on the trees. I'm interested in when that was and what, what was that following? What was the campaign that had that really intense backlash? And is that common? Thank you. Um, so we've got about five minutes if you can keep responses brief from the table. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, so if we look at the deforestation rate in, in Indonesia, actually uh, 
before Suharto era, we cannot uh, calculate everything because the data is closed. But then when we starting, we got uh, we can got the, the data from the NASA, for example. We got uh, starting actually the big uh, deforestation is coming from uh, 1998 until until 2004. Why? Because before before that, only one uh, central government when uh, Soeharto era. But then after we have a reformation era, a lot of local local government also have like a, a, like a king, and then they give some easily some uh, uh, concession permit, and actually that is a, a, a part of the corruption. Uh, more uh, motive corruption in 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 in, in the uh, province. They do like that because uh, they need some money for in, uh, invest for in, uh, for doing the election. That is uh, happened in in 1998 until until 2004, and then after that uh, 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 we become we have a anti-corruption commission. A lot of uh, a government or governor also have already in jail. For example, the biggest uh, uh, province who deforestation in the field is uh, Riau province. And then Riau government currently already three government uh, detained or arrested by KPK. And then, yeah, last time, uh, last month we met with the uh, anti-corruption co uh, uh, commission they also already reminding the new government to we don't want to arrest it, the fourth governor. So they quite uh, uh, worried now. But yeah, in terms of the uh, uh, how province uh, level or district level uh, manage the natural forest, including the, the forest, now is quite uh, uh, challenging also because some government after KPK have uh, arrested some gov uh, governor, now they quite uh, 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 aware about that. And then also, what uh, we are uh, need to uh, have a positive way is uh, some uh, local NGO also quite criticize in the provincial level. So uh, yes, for some period, but now uh, getting better for that. And then, yeah, regarding with the, yeah, yeah for us actually, uh, reforestation by by plantation, even it, even that uh, like uh, pulp and paper or palm oil, that is still they will be cutting down again. So the rest rest uh, reforestation, what what we need to asking government or to company also. To restore the forest is they need to replant uh, with the local species. That's why uh, national pit agency uh, one of the uh, uh, what uh, one of the program is restore restoration the pitland and then they will be replant uh, replanting the area with that uh, local species. That is uh, uh, the important and then uh, we. 
Uh, yeah, we 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 didn't until now we we get we can get the we cannot get the data how how much or how many area already re, uh, replanting. What I know that uh, we what we are sowing in the field is more a uh, lot of uh, deforestation and then ref, uh, reforestation is need to more clear because uh, some people or some. Some company, even uh, uh, from government, also said that uh, pulp and paper is one of the reforestation. Even we are, we are not agree with that. Regarding with the backlash, actually, uh, in in Indonesia, uh, so far Greenpeace is the one who uh, always get that uh, backlash because uh, we are we quite. Uh, Uh, huge with the, our campaign. Some backlash also have uh, uh, come to our our colleagues who talking about the human right. Usually, it's coming from the the the, the time from coming from the military, but our our from us it's coming from the company actually. And then when the big big company already commit with zero deforestation, and then the time will be. Uh, slow down. There is no uh, backlash again. But if we running again the campaign, another campaign, then we'll be coming again. So it's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so yeah, uh, backlash is uh, it's not common actually. It's only coming to 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 the NGOs who's really uh, fight with that uh, some issue so that is uh, coming to to greenpeace to our college uh, indonesian uh, law uh, ICW, uh, uh indonesian corruption watch and then uh, human right but another is uh, uh, it's 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 like uh, not not really have a backlash But yeah, uh, what we are doing, if we got the backlash, actually we also uh, trying to manage the security because uh, I mean that uh, we need to be aware each other because sometimes it will be uh, dif uh, difficult if we not uh, take care that it uh, seriously. But yeah, hopefully that is only uh, when we have a campaign, but now hopefully don't have again. Let's see how far, how big uh, our campaign. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the, the regional autonomy story in Indonesia is one that has started off being um, not not all that good for the environment. Effectively, you had the, then the regionalisation, giving off to the local districts the power to issue various sorts of licences, and the evidence was straight after regional autonomy deforestation rates increased and there was actually increased forest loss as the local regents were requiring to sort of recoup their, their invest, political investments. So that was an, an initially a, a, quite a bad situation which then I think got re-centralised again under Megawati, the, the forestry law did anyway, which sort of put restrictions on the licence that could be issued locally. And I think that is sort of still playing itself out but it certainly wasn't a panacea for the, the, the larger problems of centralised control over, over the forest estates. Um, in relation to the reforestation, maybe I'll give a, a short example there. The, 
again, under Suharto, um, each company was, was required to give a certain amount of money into a Dana Rebo Izasi, yeah. yep. um, which was then centralised nationally, which was then to be used for reforestation activities. I think most observers would say it was a, a fairly monumental failure and it became a, a, a serious source of, of corruption for, for those, for those involved. So reforestation activities in that centralised scale has a very poor, poor performance in Indonesia. But um, where I have seen successes, I mean, examples such as in southern Sumatra, um, in the Sumbrajaya watersheds um, and elsewhere, where their farmers or local communities have been given rights over land, and that's actually led to reforestation. There's a number of watersheds that were logged over and were cleared um, in the 1980s and 90s, and by actually issuing rights to the communities, I think they're 25-year year leases, um, actually a lot of those landscapes have been reforested as agroforestry systems, I mean, involving uh, coffee um, and other shade trees there. So I think the, the, the story on that side, when it's maybe associated with, with local community rights, um, is a lot more positive. Um, look, I'll just be really brief. And one of the things, one of the struggles that, when I talk about struggles and the need to support a lot of these struggles in Indonesia, one of them is actually to shore up the anti-corruption commission that uh, Kiki talked about a little bit, because the deforestation that people have talked about that occurred under uh, decentralisation is bound up to do with collecting revenue at the local level by local politicians. So um, there's a battle inside Indonesia now to try and dismantle a lot of the powers of the Anti-Corruption Commission, to revise the law, to deal with that, to try and um, um, to uh, soften the impact or the, the authority of the Anti-Corruption Commission. So it's something that Indonesians have actually been quite um, involved in in terms of trying to shore up that commission because it is one of the shining lights of the reformasi um, period, of the post-authoritarian um, period, is the creation of that commission and the fact that people are serving prison sentences for um, corrupt uh, practices and so on in the bureaucracy. The picture on human rights and regional autonomy is a little bit more mixed, though. I think it's actually been more positive. Regional autonomy um, has been more positive for human rights because it has opened up avenues for activists to campaign at the local level, particularly if there's no movement at the national level. So on human rights committed, abuses committed under the Suharto regime, where there's been nothing happening, there's been widespread impunity at the national level, activists have gone to uh, local governors, mayors and so on to say, what are you going to do about this? And in central Sulawesi, the mayor of Palu actually came out and apologised for his role in detaining people in 1965 and that the city government will, because now they have control over budgets, that's the important thing, that the regional governments now have <coughs> control over their own budget items, that they can now turn around and say, we will provide redress measures for past human rights abuses because we do have this budget in terms of uh, social services and health and so on. So the picture is a bit more mixed. It's not as negative as with deforestation in terms of human rights for regional autonomy and a whole host of, of other things um, here as well. Partly it's to do with the budgetary and rulemaking capacity of local governments now. Thanks very much. So if you go home with one takeaway, the takeaway is please get involved. Please get involved. You've heard about the scale of the destruction. You've seen the children battling through darkened skies in the middle of the days. You've heard about what happened to this heart 
but you've also heard where there is the opportunity for hope and for change and for effective intervention. And just to return some honour to Australia, which has rather left the course of justice through some of our foreign policy decisions over the last few years, for those of us in the room who are Australians, to engage more and with uh, warmer hearts uh, towards our incredibly important near neighbours. So please do get involved. And in the spirit of getting involved, thank you to Sydney Ideas and to the wonderful thing that is the Sydney Environment Institute for hosting us this evening. We're very grateful. It's been a terrific event. Uh, thank you all for choosing to get your Friday nights off on such a cheery note. Um, and thank you to a really wonderful panel, to uh, Vanessa Herman, to Jeff Nielsen, and to my uh, dear colleague, Kiki Tufik. Thank you very much, and have a good evening. Thank you.